0: is footy time and i'm daniel andrews and today again i've got with me danny how's it going danny
1: hey daniel it's nice to be back
0: all right so we've got our reoccurring segments again today so we'll have a go at true or false a little bit later on and uh alternate history to see how the vanquished grand finalist might have been out to win it was actually on you to pick this episode's grand final
1: i i picked the 2006 grand final because it, it's one of the closest ones in Not the modern history, but the just 20 in the last 20 years.
0: Yeah, I guess this is around the time where football was starting to change a little bit. I guess Ruse gets a lot of credit for, you know, getting a lot of that defensive game style going and uh, wasn't quite as free flowing. So let's have a look at uh, how each of the teams got there. So, funnily enough, West Coast and Sydney both actually played each other in the qualifying final. So it was actually the Eagles who finished on top of the ladder with 17 wins, and they were hosting the fourth-place Swans. It was a close game all night, which is what you would come to expect between these two teams, but it was actually Sydney getting the better in a one-point game, so they won this one 85-84, to and it was big bad bustling Barry Hall kicking five, ably supported by O'Loughlin. So you might remember around this time, Danny, that Sydney and West Coast games were always well, it seemed to always be decided by less than a kick. They had almost a decade of this. I guess they were just really two evenly matched teams.
1: Yeah, very much so. I think they matched up very well with, their, with the way their midfields structured up against each other.
0: So this saw Sydney through to the prelim final, and it was actually Freer who got th- through to play against them. Freer having won their first ever final in this final series. So they had to travel to the SCG And uh, sorry to say for Freo fans, but it was a big win to Sydney here. So they put on a huge score of 19-13, 127 to beat a pretty gallant Freo by 35 points. Again, it was Hall and O'Loughlin doing the damage, sharing 10 goals, and O'Keefe was chipping in too. So they did have a pretty potent forward line, Sydney, didn't they, Danny?
1: Certainly did, with uh, Big Barry Hall up forward and O'Loughlin right beside him.
0: They were hard to stop. He really did straighten them up, Hall. He had a huge presence, I do remember. Once he started getting his hands on the ball, you could see the whole team lifted. So this gave Sydney the chance to win back-to-back premierships, of course, winning in 2005 to break a 72-year drought. But what happened to the Eagles? So after losing that first qualifying final, they had to do it the hard way. Well, in theory, it was the hard way. They had a home final against the Western Bulldogs, where Quinton Lynch and Adam Hunter combined for 10 goals between them. It was absolute smashing actually, the Eagles winning this one by 74 points. The much harder part of the equation though came the next week, Adelaide West Coast to decide the second spot in the grand final. So it was actually quite a low scoring game, especially in the first half, with West Coast having only two goals to half time. Still they were in the game though, only 22 points down. They really did roar back into the match in the third quarter though, and they were just eight points down by three quarter time. The Avalanches scoring continued, where West Coast added 5-7 to just 3-1 to overrun Adelaide and win an away prelim final, which is no mean feat. And it was the danger man Hunter, who was often the swing man for the Eagles, doing a lot of the damage with four important goals. It really seemed, though, that Adelaide had missed a golden opportunity to make the first grand final since 1998. So we had the grand final rematch then, Sydney and West Coast. Would history repeat? or would there be a different tale told this time? All right, so we've got two interstate teams into the grand final now, Sydney and West Coast. So I guess around this time it wasn't actually that unusual to have two interstate teams, but nowadays it's become a bit of a rare thing. So it's been 13 years since there's been two interstate teams in the grand final. So it was a bit of a bit of a weird thing for Victorians to see two uh, interstate teams in the grand final. Do you remember? How you felt about it, Danny, way back when? Well, I remember there was a lot of outroar
1: about it at the time because people were sick of seeing Interstate Grand Finals. There was the Brisbane Lions, Port Adelaide Grand Final, there was the West Coast, well, this Grand Final the year before, and people were wondering whether Victorian teams were even good enough to uh, be there anymore.
0: Yeah, I guess people did sort of wonder whether... The grand final would still have the same prestige if it was, you know, two interstate teams. And I think that was a valid concern because, you know, there's a lot of Victorians that are going to it. But we had some pretty great games, even though they were in all interstate teams through that period. So I think overall, people probably, you know, were were worried about nothing. Well, not worried about nothing, but, you know, it wasn't as dire as some people were saying (laughs) to not have a Victorian team in there.
1: No, and you you still look at the attendance, it was still, I think, 97,000 people, so it wasn't like it was a small crowd.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I guess if you're a truly national competition, you have to be prepared to have, you know, two interstate teams, it's not the VFL anymore. No, and I I actually think it probably was good for the growth of the game. For sure. So, if you look back over the last 20 years, each team has, you know, had their chance to get either into a grand final through prelim or competing in a grand final, so... It's been a great spread of teams through getting through to Grand Finals in the last 20 years. So I think it shows it's a really healthy game. The other interesting thing is that we haven't actually had a all-Victorian team Grand Final either since 2011. So it's been a good mix of interstate teams and Victorian teams on Grand Final Day. So again, I think that shows yeah. that it is a truly national game. Yeah, now,
1: sorry, I was thinking back. Yep,
0: that's, that's correct.
1: Wow. Yeah. What a, good, what a good little stat you've got there. <laughs> you've got
0: factoids all
1: over the place here then.
0: <laughs> all right, cool. Let's uh, jump into the 2006 grand final. So we'll start with our first quarter recap here. So it was the Eagles who caught fire early, and it was actually Ashley Hansen who marked in front of a young Lewis Roberts Thompson, or LRT, as he was affectionately known. And although Hansen's kicking can be a bit dicey, He was able to put this one through without any problems. And a short time later, the Eagles had another after a Buchanan fumble in the goal square, allowing Judd to kick it off the ground. And they had a really quick start here. It was looking a little bit dicey for the Swans. The fumbles continued for Sydney on the wing with Jolly, allowing West Coast to move it quickly. And although the kick went over the heads of their forwards, it was actually Cousins who was able to gather. And using a bit of speed, he was actually able to Angle the kick across his boot to put through a drop punt, which sailed through the middle. So we had West Coast really having all the play, they were dominating possession, and the Swans were looking quite jittery. But you knew they'd settle sooner or later because that's just what the Swans do. Yes, they're not a team that normally gets overawed by the pressure. No, it was definitely a great start by the Eagles here, though. They were all over them and they did manage to put it on the board. So finally, Sydney got a clean back half transition. And it led to a leading O'Loughlin marking characteristically on his chest, as he so often did. So you might remember this Danny from the 05 grand final, how many problems O'Loughlin had with his goal kicking. He couldn't buy one. But on this occasion, he put it through without any problems with a beautiful set shot.
1: And that, set, that looked like it set a little bit of nerves for him and for the Swans at that point.
0: Yeah, they definitely needed it. And, they, and after that point, although West Coast was still winning more of the ball... Swans had a bit more of the play, winning the ball through the middle and through the back line, so just things did start to steady down a little bit. And if it weren't for their inaccuracy of 1-4-10, they might have been even closer than they were with West Coast taking a 16-point lead into quarter time. Alright, let's jump into the second quarter now. So to start off, we're going to go to where Chick had a long kick out of defense, and the ball got out the back and it was a running Embley who gathered. And he had a fair bit of pace at this time, so he was able to take all the grass in front of him and go to about 30 before making sure of it. And just like that, West Coast had a 21-point lead. The possession differential was starting to become a real issue for the Swans, and it was giving West Coast plenty of chances to score. The run through the midfield continued for West Coast. This time it was Kerr streaming through the middle with great pace, delivering deep to the big Q, and Quinton Lynch had a chance to kick his first goal. He ripped his glove off, as he so often does, well, always when he's about to take a shot, and he was able to put this one through on the angle. And a short time later, it seemed like history was repeating itself, with Fletcher running through the middle, getting it deep to Lynch in the square, where he so often is. And just like that, he had his second goal. What do you remember about the big Q, Danny? Well, it was funny
1: rewatching these goals, because... In modern football, there's no way a player would have a drop punt from 15 metres out on a 60 degree angle. Every modern day player now would run around and have it just kick kick an easy goal. But gee, it's funny that that wasn't even in the mindset of the uh, player in the early 2000s.
0: No, I guess it was Stevie J who sort of brought that in, wasn't it? Like He started it probably around this time, but yeah, it really wasn't in vogue. You're right. A lot of players did prefer the drop punt.
1: Which is crazy, really. It's, they made life a lot harder for themselves.
0: Yeah, I think it's a much easier kick just to lay it across to you know, get that curl and give yourself you know, more of the goal face to work with. I agree. Uh,
1: and open up the angle.
0: But the big Q was able to put it through, nonetheless. This time it was Sydney with a quick play out of defence and Nick Davis marking strongly at half forward. He was able to get it deep inside 50 where Lachlan beat Chick all ends up and he was able to put that through as well. And a short time later, there was a the lucky kick out of the pack that saw the ball with Davis again. And this time, about 35 out from the boundary, he used his exquisite goal kicking to nail it, ensuring that Sydney was still in the game, although West Coast had a nice 25-point lead at halftime. <laughs> Alright, great. Well, that brings us to our first-half talking points. First one here is about Chris Judd. So... There were plenty of times in this first half where he used his speed and strength to just break away from stoppages. He was pretty dominant in that first half, Danny. Oh, absolutely.
1: On the back of his Brownlow, this is just what, this is what Chris Judd was, just a superstar from a midfield, bursting out of packs, winning the Norm Smith the year before.
0: Yes, I guess, would you say this is... I know he played extremely well at Carlton after he went there, but he was really in his prime through these couple of years. He had his explosive speed.
1: Absolutely, he, he was a superstar back then.
0: And it was really just part of their star-studded midfield, West Coast. So they had the trio of Judd, Cousins and Kerr, which often got all the headlines, but Andrew Embley often ran through there as well and he could attract plenty of the ball and was very skillful.
1: Oh, absolutely. But I think that that's part of the reason why he was such a good player at West Coast is he was surrounded by good players and it just gave him the the opportunity not to have to Do everything
0: for sure. So I think they used him well as that sort of link, sort of running player. He often played a bit wider, I suppose, than some of these other guys who are in the clinches. But they all complemented each other really well, I think. So they all had different strengths, but they could also all hit the scoreboard, which was important for West Coast.
1: And the other player you can't forget in that midfield was Selwood back then. He he was a good player.
0: Yeah, they had a lot of players that ran through the. Midfield, even broad, usually knocked up getting the ball. So it was definitely hard to match up on. And you knew that they were always going to win their fair share of the ball.
1: And that allowed players to be more explosive as well. That's why Kerr, Judd and Cousins could all explode out of of those clearances because they were always fresh.
0: For sure. It was a big advantage being able to rotate players through there. So one of the things that stood out in this first half was the disposal discrepancy, particularly handball's. Uh, West Coast had 76 more disposals than Sydney in that first half, which begs the question, should they have been further ahead? So that 25-point lead, is that representative of how the game was played? What do you reckon Danny?
1: Possibly, but the disposals always everything is is sometimes getting a lot of disposals means you're just fluffing around with the ball and not getting it closer to goal. I always find it interesting when people look at how many disposals a team has But if they're not making the most of it, those disposals, and they're not kicking goals, what's the point?
0: I guess that's very true. And playing against Sydney, they've never really been a high-disposal team. So although it looks like a huge discrepancy, it's probably not as big an issue as it looks on paper. So the other thing we had going on in this first half was uh, the prototype Ruckman of this period, Dean Cox, giving Jolly a bit of a bath. He even took a kick out at one point. (laughs) He was pretty dominant through this period. Oh, he, he,
1: Cox is a superstar. He's going to go down as one of the great, of the all-time
0: Ruckman. And, you know, the line was that he was always just like another midfielder because he could, at this time, he could knock up getting possessions. And really, there weren't many Ruckman that were doing that this time. I guess it's a little bit more common now with Ruckman like Brodie Grundy going around and a few others who get a fair bit of the ball. But around this time, I guess Cox was one of the only guys who had really been able to get you know over 20 possessions in a game sometimes even 30. Yeah but I feel like this is also people say that of how
1: how he was another midfielder but they don't acknowledge how good a Ruckman was. He had 25 more hitouts than Jolly.
0: Yeah I guess it was almost just taken for granted that he was an awesome Ruckman and this was like his point of difference the, the fact that he found the ball but yeah he was an awesome Ruckman I, I agree. <laughs> Alright, let's jump back into the game. So to recap, we've got a 25-point lead to the West Coast Eagles. What's going to happen next? So the game really caught fire at the start of the third quarter. Both teams seem to have found another level here. And a huge Schneider tackle on the wing led to a quick forward line entry where Hall was able to get it onto a Lachlan and under a bit of pressure, he was able to dribble the goal through. It was goal for goal, though, because West Coast were able to get it straight back when Braun got a creative handball to the running Embly. And from 40, he made no mistake. Ashley Hansen's dodgy goal kicking came back to bite as he missed a set shot, only for the Swans to take it up the other end when Goods was able to mark strongly from the kick-in. And a bullet pass to Melchewski in the middle led to an entry where Davis was able to mark inside 50. And again, he lived up to his reputation of being a fantastic kick, putting another one through the big sticks. So in a flash, it was a two-goal turnaround with Hansen's miss costing the Eagles and the Swans getting one straight away. But again, West Coast were able to answer, with the big Q being able to drain one from the boundary line with a huge set shot. West Coast had a couple more chances, though, to start to put the game beyond Sydney, and it was Embley who marked around 30 metres out and missed a golden chance to put the lead over five goals. At the other end, it was Hall who was able to get onto a scrubby kick and handled it really well to get it up to goods who was able to put it into the path of Lewis Roberts-Thompson. He had all the grace of a baby goat as he tried to get the kick away, and he was just about to be dragged down to the ground, and his kick just floated and evaded the players on the line, and he was able to get it back to a 21-point lead to the West Coast Eagles. A very important goal. Surely you remember that one, Danny.
1: (laughs) It certainly wasn't pretty.
0: (laughs) Just got to find a way of getting it through. So in the latter part of the third quarter, it was actually the Swans who had the majority of the play. They just couldn't quite put it on the board, though, and they had a few chances that they ended up fluffing. But again, it was Nick Davis who was their saviour, who was able to nail a long straight set shot and ensured that West Coast only had an 11-point lead at three-quarter time, and it looked like we'd have another game that might go down to the wire. So to begin the fourth quarter, it only took 15 seconds for a goal. It was Hall who marked from his centre clearance and who handed it on to Goods, and using his explosive pace, he was able to get a bit of space before kicking Truly. This gave Sydney Swans a run of goals and they'd actually kicked six of the last eight goals. From there, the game entered a bit of a stalemate period though. Both teams missed chances to get goals and it seemed like every goal would be extremely valuable. So in a good bit of play for Sydney, it was Ryan O'Keefe who was able to get it long into the Sydney Swans' 50, where Barry Hall and LRT were able to bring the ball to ground. And the quick Schneider was able to find it and snap the goal. Again, the trend continued, though, from the third. It was goal for goal when the unheralded Armstrong was in the right place at the right time to dribble through a goal of his own. But from the very next centre clearance... It was O'Keefe who was able to gather at the half-forward line. Unintentionally, he handballed it to himself to get a little bit more space. And somehow, his left-foot kick evaded four players in the goal square, and it just found a way to bounce through. So with just five minutes left, it was now just a one-point margin separating the teams in favour of West Coast. So just inside West Coast 50, it looked like the Swans were about to transition out. When the O'Keefe kick, where he tried to kick it around the corner was basically taken straight off his boot by a full-body smothered by Daniel Chick. He had Adam Hunter running beside him, and together they shared the ball and ensured that West Coast now had a seven-point lead as they put another one through the goals.
1: That really was a bit of an amazing play by Daniel Chick, to be able to smother the ball, take it cleanly, lay the handball, and then lay the
0: shepherd in one play. It was amazing. At the other end, it was the Swans who were actually able to keep it alive inside 50, multiple times when it looked like there was nothing was really going to come of the forward entry. But the ball came to Melchewski, and in a flash he was able to put through his left foot snap, and just like that we had a one point game on our hands, but it was still West Coast in the lead by a single point. With little time remaining, it was Goods kicking long, but yet again it was Embley who was mopping up in defence, who'd been put behind the ball in the last quarter. West Coast were able to take a bit more time off the clock with some stoppages, and Sydney had one final chance where they were able to get it inside 50. But the errant kick bounced harmlessly out of bounds. So it was the Eagles who were able to hold on by a single point to win the 2006 Premiership. So if we look at the two finals that these two teams played in the 2006 final series, there was actually a combined winning margin of two points. So the first final was actually a one-point win to Sydney. That was the qualifying final over in WA. And, of course, this grand final, a one-point win to the Eagles. So if you take the aggregate score from those two games, it's a draw. <laughs> so, obviously, West Coast won the one that was important, but I think it just shows, again, how evenly these teams were matched. There's probably been no two teams that have been so evenly matched in the last 20 years, you'd probably say. What do you reckon, Danny? Danny?
1: No, not not to that extreme. I'm not sure you could even say any teams have ever been this closely matched. Not to have so... Oh, you could maybe argue the Hawthorne-Geelong games where they were had consecutive games with under 10 points, but not one point.
0: Yeah, well, I guess when a game comes down to one point, there's a bit of luck involved in that. So, you know, they had this whole string of games in this stretch that were decided by under two goals, but pretty amazing to have two one-point games. And even more amazing than that, both games were 85 to 84. Wasn't exactly the same number of <laughs> goals and points, but the, yeah, so the first one, Sydney 85, West Coast 84, and of course reversed in the grand final. So just another one of those little quirks. All right, let's jump into the 3 one of most influential players now for this grand final. So it was Andrew Embley who was able to take away the Norm Smith here. So he kicked a few really important goals and uh, was really wherever the Eagles needed him, really, for the majority of the game. So I did agree with the Norm Smith judges on this occasion. Three votes to Embley. I just thought his pace and uh, being able to get back in defence in that last quarter as well was really important. So definitely agree with the judges there. So for me, it was really Adam Goods who wrenched Sydney back into the game in that second half, with some great kicking and using his pace. So he got my two votes, although he was a little quiet in the first half, but he did enough in that second half. And perhaps if the Swans had found a way to win, he might have been the Norm Smith medalist. And uh, in a typical Brett Kirk performance, he was able to find a heap of the ball, and I think he laid over 10 tackles. So Nine tackles, but he was very, very good. For sure, for sure. So he got my one vote. How did you see this with the votes, Danny?
1: I probably had my votes slightly different, very close. I had Embly three, um, Brett Kurt is with a two, and Chris Judd with the one.
0: Yeah, I almost fit Judd in there. I guess he went out of it a little bit in that second half to me, but yeah, it was a close call with Judd. I
1: thought Judd's game was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Leading possession getter, goal, tackles, he did it all. He did. I don't know. Goods just stood out more to me. Goods did have a very good game too. And, and, and he was unlucky in my in my eyes not to get the votes.
0: All right. So we've got our second half talking points to have a go at now. Continuing on from what we were talking about in the influential players there, we had really had Goods storming into the game in that second half. So I guess uh, Ruse moved him into the midfield. That was one of the big changes. How did you see this, Danny? I think it was a very
1: important game reason for two points. I think they needed a spark in the midfield, and I think Goods needed to get himself in the game. I think putting him in the midfield really opened things up.
0: Yeah, for sure. When he was able to get the ball, they were looking pretty dangerous with his long, precise kicking. So, And he's such a big body. That a big body in the midfield is so dangerous. For sure. So I think we can agree that he was a big part of what got Sydney back into the game in that second half. Not that they were really out of it, but he did
1: spark them. No, and... Maybe if he'd gone over there a bit earlier, things might have been might have changed earlier.
0: Yeah, it was interesting that they didn't put him in there much in the first half at all. Did come into it in the second half for sure. So the other thing was uh, for Sydney was uh, Nick Davis. He was providing a fantastic target, and with Hall not having a great day, they really did need Nick Davis to stand up.
1: Oh, I think it was very important that he did that. Uh, O'Loughlin was being covered. He only took three marks for the game, and I think. Um, Davis was certainly
0: providing that other option that was very important for Sydney to get back into this game. So I think the other thing that started to happen in that third quarter was Sydney started getting a bit more run out of the back line and uh, it really helped them to find some of the ascendancy in uh, that third quarter in particular. So it was Ty Canelli and a few others causing a bit of damage out of that back line.
1: Yes, Ty Canelli and Leo Barry were both uh, leading the, the rebounds out of the uh, back line and they were setting them up. Connelly, with his with his run and his av- ability to evade plays was a very important um, player for Sydney at this point in time.
0: And Sydney were pretty reliant on those sort of quicker plays to get their goals well as a lot of teams are it's the best chance to score but that's when they look the most dangerous where they could uh, you know get a bit of space coming out of the back line and move it quickly so that was really noticeable. So as the second half continued, it seemed that West Coast was relying more and more on their midfield to get their second half goals. So they're actually only able to kick four goals in the whole of the second half. What do you think, Danny? Were West Coast overly reliant on their midfield for goals?
1: Well, other than Quinton Lynch, they didn't really seem to have an obvious forward. Like, they didn't seem to have a player that could wrestle the the tools of the, the Sydney defence to... To create opportunities for their for their midfielders to come back into the forward line to crumb goals, because that that seemed to be their play that they were trying to go with.
0: Yeah, they did try moving Adam Hunter there at a very at various stages. He's their swingman, obviously, but he didn't really seem to have much impact other than that uh, goal we were talking about, where he got the handball from Daniel Chick. But in terms of you know holding down a forward position, wasn't really doing it for him. I guess Hansen had a few shots, but he was far from imposing. So I guess this underlies the point that I've thought about this West Coast team through sort of these previous two years is, you know, the forward line wasn't really going to get it done for them. So they had to make sure that they were getting plenty of uh, drive through that midfield to give their forward line enough chances because, you know, the forwards weren't going to get it off, done off their own bat, so to speak.
1: No, it was a, a lot of work to try to keep the ball in there. That's what... Players like Daniel Chick became very important, just creating that tackle pressure.
0: I guess people were a little bit harsh on the West Coast forward line around this time, like talking about them getting, you know, 60 inside 50s and still losing games. So I guess that was always the knock on this West Coast team that the forward line was the weak link. But at the end of the day, you could say they had the last laugh,
1: putting all their eggs in the uh, midfield basket.
0: Yeah, it worked on this occasion. So they're the ones who are laughing now, right? But it brings us to an important point, because it did seem like Sydney had probably the better of the play for large periods of that second half, although West Coast were often able to answer. But how did West Coast manage to hold on?
1: Well, personally, I think they did it around the, st- the stoppage. The, the one thing a goal does, it brings the ball back to the middle, and it gives Port's players around the ball, and that's where West Coast had their strengths.
0: I'd agree with that, because... Uh, you know, there were a lot of goal-for-goal goal moments throughout that second half in particular. So when Sydney were able to score, often West Coast were able to answer or at least stop them getting another goal quickly because of that strength around the midfield. So it's time now for true or false. Let's have a look at some of the things that came out of the 2006 grand final. Danny, West Coast were deserving winners of the 2006 grand final.
1: I think that's true, Daniel. They had their opportunities to lose this game, but overall, they were the number one side for the year. They dominated um, disposals, possessions, inside 50s. They were the the deserving team to win the grand.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think actually either team would have deserved to win this game, which I'm sure you could say for most games that are decided by one point. So I think it's pretty harsh to say that West Coast weren't deserving winners of the 06 Grand Final. So we'll go with truth with the fact that they were deserving. The Swans and the Eagles made the most
1: of this period without any other dominating teams in the AFL.
0: Yeah, I think this is true, Danny, because if you think back to around this time, it was after the Brisbane era, but before the sort of Geelong Hawthorne era. So you've got the absence of those really dominant teams. And when that happens, you can you know get other teams coming up that you perhaps wouldn't really be expecting to win grand finals necessarily, but they can take that chance. So I really do feel that the Swans and Eagles fit into that category of just being able to make the most of this chance, even if they weren't you know, a truly great team. Yeah, I think they were good teams, just not complete teams. Like
1: Swans were had a, a very good defense midfield forward line and the Eagles had an amazing, amazing, amazing midfield. One of the best of all time. A good defense and a very okay forward line. Where, if you look at some of the other teams of the decade, with Brisbane, were a complete side all over the ground. At Geelong, were very similar. They were very complete sides. Um, these were good sides with great, great areas, just not a, not complete.
0: Danny, Sydney missed a golden chance to win back-to-back premierships for the first time in their history. Well,
1: I think this is kind of true. They probably weren't the best team, but they did have. They certainly had their chance to win this game. With that fast five minutes to go, if Sydney kept their momentum going, they could have won this game and could have been back-to-back premiers, which would have been amazing. Maybe not deserving of it, but it would have been an amazing effort for Sydney to do it.
0: Yeah, and I think you hit on really what this statement is all about. They had the chance. They had the chance to do it. So definitely true here. Daniel, was Barry Hall's bad day
1: due to poor like a poor form on his behalf or was it West Coast's strong backline that held him to account
0: I would say that it was more about Barry he just didn't look like he was having a good day he missed a set shot early wasn't holding onto his marks he still did some nice things got a few hand balls away gathered cleanly and uh, you know got it on to some important running players but uh, yeah it just wasn't happening for Barry so i don't think it had a huge amount to do with the West Coast backline though what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think Barry Hall is an amazing player. And <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Danny. Tell us what you really think.
1: <laughs> um, no, I thought Barry had just had a bad day. I think Barry in his, would, would admit it himself that he just wasn't in great form. Well, coming into the game, he was in good form. He just didn't... He failed to really put himself in the key positions for the big moments. He didn't do what Barry does best and run through people.
0: (laughs) He definitely didn't do that. And he just didn't quite have that aura he normally has. You know, he's a big imposing presence out on the ground, so just didn't seem to be happening for him, which was a bit of a surprise, really, because he really dominated through the 06 final series. He really just didn't have that scary factor that he normally does. Yeah, so I guess a simple change you could make to result here is, you know, if Barry Hall has a slightly better day, it's easy to say that the Swans may have won their games. To you, Danny, it would have been unjust for West Coast to have lost both the 2005 and 2006 Grand Finals.
1: Yes, now I think this is, this is true, Daniel. They were a great side in this period of time. They won, they were dominating the home and away seasons. I think they definitely deserve to win at least one Grand Final. And some could argue with potentially three Hall of Fame, at least three Hall of Fame players, they could have won more than one.
0: Yeah, you just got to find a way of winning grand finals when you have great players. So they won one. And I think the general consensus was that it's a just result for each team to have won one of these grand finals through this 05-06 period. So especially if you consider the wider context of each of these teams having such a run of close games when they came up against each other, if one team was able to have won both these games, it would have... Been pretty horrid for the other, and uh, it maybe seem a little unjust.
1: Yeah, I'm gl- glad the fabulous four of Cox, Kerr, Judd, and Cousins won at least one premiership
0: together. For sure, especially with what happened at uh, Carlton for Juddy, couldn't quite make it happen there. But uh, yeah, there's a huge difference between zero and one premiership medal.
1: Certainly is. It. Great players deserve to be remembered in for great moments.
0: And I guess that brings to mind players like Rewald and Favlich who had chances but never quite got there. And Buckley. Buckley too, yeah. There's plenty of them. And I guess a bit unfairly, they'll always be remembered slightly differently because they weren't able to get that premiership medal. It's time now for alternate history. So really, it should be pretty easy for us this week. Such a close game. There should be any one of 100 things that we could have changed for Sydney to win this game. So I'll start with mine to kick off this version of Alternate History. So in a bold move by Paul Roos, he moves Adam Goods into the midfield in the first quarter. In the first quarter?
1: You're looking (laughs) for one point and you're making a big move like this in the first quarter.
0: Hear me out, Danny. See where I'm going with this. So I really feel like Adam Goods will give them that spark in the midfield that they needed. And as well as that, I'm going to move Hall slightly further up the ground. So he's still going to be around centre-forward, but roaming up to the wings occasionally, providing that link player just to ease that back-half transition, which is really key for Sydney. Wow, you're really you're really changing Sydney's game plan here, Daniel. <laughs> he's not moving too far up the ground. Hang on, hear me out. All right, so now that we've got Hall slightly further up the ground, we've now got uh, Nick Davis, O'Keefe and Schneider playing a little closer to goal. And combined with... Sydney's quick back half transitions. They've got plenty of opportunities to get it in quick to their dangerous smalls and uh, get the extra two it's goals not they a need. A dangerous small.
1: Wow, now I've heard everything.
0: <laughs> you don't rate Schneider? Come on. No? <laughs> no. It's a dangerous player. So they've got the extra two goals they need, and now they can hold on to win the last quarter by nine points. There's my cards, Danny. It sounds like you've already got a few issues there. But, uh, oh,
1: I think you've completely changed old Paul Rube's game plan to uh, find two points.
0: I didn't want to be too obvious here. Like, if I was going to have targeted one player, I probably would have uh, given O'Keefe a slightly different way of getting out of defense rather than letting Chick smother the ball. That would have been my one player would have gone to. better. Uh, uh, no-
1: nothing was getting past Chick in that moment. So I would take it almost to the last two minutes of the game. Adam Goods clear the ball from the pack. He runs, bursts through. What he does is he blasts to the top of the goal square and the Eagles uh, get the rebound and the game's over.
0: Is that where Embley marks it? I think I remember yes, that one. Yes, that's Embley yeah. marks it. Like, there's not even a Swans player anywhere near him. <laughs> no, it No, it was crazy what he did. <laughs>
1: so, instead, he takes an extra bounce, gives himself a bit more time, looks up and sees Barry Hall. 35 out from goal. Big, bad, bustling. Barry makes the moment. He's not dropping marks. He might not be having a great game, but he makes the most of his opportunities. He takes the mark directly in front, 40 metres out from Barry Hall. That's an easy kick. But even if he kicks a point, at least Sydney walk away with a draw. That's the moment that where they Sydney truly had a great, great chance to win the game. And that's all I would change. Hmm. Where Daniel has completely <laughs> changed the whole
0: entire game, the whole... S- it is called alternate history, Danny. It's not called alternate moments. <laughs> no, that, that, that's true. And what? What? And I believe I think I changed the weather one game. So <laughs> yeah, you got to keep it interesting. But yeah, it's an interesting play you brought up there, Danny, because it sounded like Goods did have a bit more time. So maybe he just panicked a little bit in the last couple of minutes. What do you reckon? Oh, it's 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 quite amazing that
1: a Brownlow medalist did panic in that moment. But he did, he kicked long where he should have gone short. The one thing he did was he he kicked a, a bit of a junk kick, really.
0: Yeah, they did have they did have a couple of chances late. So you've taken an interesting uh, route to your alternate history there. Yeah. So uh, you've already started sort of picking holes in mine. Is there anything else you'd like to take issue with in my description there of how Sydney wins this game? Uh, no.
1: I can probably go into how how the Eagles probably would have restructured. They would have put an extra number on. O'Loughlin probably stopped him from being able to get near the ball. No key targets. I think you've got you've got Barry Hall playing on the wing. Barry Hall hasn't got a great tank, so he's probably blown up in exhaustion. So you have got probably in that last five minutes, you're going to have to have goods on the bench, Barry Hall on the bench because they've they've run all day. And I reckon the Eagles probably win by thirty five points.
0: <laughs> I think you're taking my tweaks here to the extreme a little bit Danny but to each their own reflecting on these two alternative histories I definitely give myself the win well that's not out of character for you Danny so I definitely saw that coming mm, I think you've dented my confidence a little bit in mine I, I originally quite liked the way this all fit together but <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bend to your will here <laughs> so it's it's Adam Goods who's the hero well Adam Goods and Hall Barry, Barry Hall Barry Hall got to keep Barry happy You don't want big, bad, bustling Barry Hall after you, Daniel. No. Just ask Brent Staker, eh? (laughs) Yeah. Has he forgiven him? I don't know. I think he might have forgiven him. Probably doesn't remember it. (laughs) For sure. That brings us to the end of another episode of Footy Time. So remember to tune in again for more Footy Time.